Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. Luke chapter 3, and we will uh, start reading in verse 7. And uh, just a reminder, we, afterwards we'll continue to work on our, um, I will, after finished reading, I will say the grass withers and the flower fades, and you will respond with, but the word of our God stands forever. So we'll keep working on that as well. So Luke 3, starting at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teachers, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptized you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire." His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us now as we look at his word. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you that you are faithful. Lord, that you do not forsake your promises. Lord, promises given uh, even at the beginning of time, Lord, that from the woman would come uh, a seed that would crush the head of the serpent, that would bring humanity back to the created intention, Lord, to dwell with you in, in unity and in purity and in holiness. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ this morning, our Savior, and through him uh, that we can have access to you in prayer, that we can be washed in his blood, Lord, clothed in in white robes. We pray that our hearts would rejoice in this truth this morning. And Father, that you would teach us from your word now by your spirit, that you would illuminate it to our hearts, God, that you would give us attentive ears to hear. We pray for your namesake, in Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Thank you. Well, I know I've kind of uh, gone back and forth a little bit, but a few weeks ago, we asked the question, what is the essence of John's message? 
And we, we often hear about John the Baptist, and we know that he baptized people uh, with water, but we often don't think a lot about what it was that he said, what was the essence of his message, what was it that he proclaimed from the banks of the River Jordan as people were coming to be baptized by him. We know he prepared the way for the Messiah, but how did he do that? What was the message that he proclaimed that would prepare the way for the coming of Christ? And several weeks ago, we saw the first two components of his message. And the first one was that he exposes hypocrites. And secondly, that he calls us to repentance, to turn from our sin, to stop loving the things that are in opposition to God and to turn our hearts towards God. And that was the first two components. So this morning, uh, I want to get through the, the remaining three. And of course, you could very likely you know, break up what John said a little differently, but I think we definitely see these, these components of what he proclaimed to the people of Israel and still proclaims to us through the Word of God. So let us look at the, the, what would be the third one. As I said, we looked at the first two previously. So the third component of John's message that he proclaimed to the people is that he warns the nation of Israel not to trust in their family line for assurance. He warns the nation of Israel not to trust in their family line for assurance of salvation. And I think that applies to all of us, that we do not look to some family heritage for our assurance of salvation. And we see John talking to what we know from Matthew's account, the Pharisees, in verse 7. Um, Luke records it as to the crowd, so he's, of course, preaching and everyone's there hearing. But we know from Matthew's account that he specifically addresses the Pharisees with this portion of Scripture. And he tells them, after calling them to repent of their hypocrisy, he says, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, clearly, John is talking to the people of Israel. He's talking about the, the physical descendants of Abraham who, who came from uh, that the, the person Abraham, whom God had given the great promise that through him the nations would be blessed, that through Abraham his offspring would be like the, the sand on the seashore. And these are the descendants of Abraham, the fulfillment of that promise in many ways. But John looks at them and tells them not to look to their connection to Abraham for assurance of their salvation. He's telling them that God is not trapped. He is free, and he will not overlook their hardness of heart just because they are the physical descendants from Abraham. And this would have been a shocking uh, message to his hearers who had who had for years boasted, and, and rightly so, proud of their heritage, proud of what God had done among the people of Israel, proud of, of God's work and faithfulness to the nation of Israel. But John reminds them that God is not trapped to continue to pour grace and favor upon them if they continue in their hard-heartedness. If they refuse to repent, John is saying, you will have no comfort in your physical lineage to Abraham. A very shocking message for the people. And uh, I wonder why they did not like John 
nor did they, many of the Jewish leaders were not baptized by John because of this kind of message. Now, is this unique to John's preaching, this warning to Israel to not find any assurance in their physical uh, lineage? Uh, Jesus did the same thing. And in fact, he would uh, even ex expand this message of John. We find not only to the nation of Israel, but even to his own immediate family, Jesus would say things that to our ears would seem, would seem harsh or unloving. In Matthew 12, 46, Jesus was teaching, and his mother and his brothers had come, and they wanted his attention. And uh, so someone comes, and, and we're told in Matthew 12, 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sister. So Jesus warned the same way that John did, that do not look to your birthright for some kind of assurance, some kind of privilege in the kingdom of God. That is not how the kingdom of God works. And Jesus would even become more, um, more harsh, it would seem, in John chapter 8, if you want to flip over there for a moment. One of the most shocking words that Christ would speak to the, specifically again, the leaders of Israel and calling them to repent and reminding them not to look to this lineage for some kind of assurance that God required repentance. He required faithfulness. So John chapter 8 and verse 31, I know it's a passage that you are familiar with, and Jesus is going back and forth with these leaders. It says in John 8, 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, and listen again, this mindset that they are coming to Christ with. We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus is proclaiming to them freedom through him, through knowing the truth, through coming to him in repentance, and they're saying we don't need freedom. We're, we're, we are, have lineage to Abraham. Why would you talk to us about freedom? We are the most blessed, free people on the planet. We're the people of God. Don't you know this, Jesus? But then he tells them in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not have heard, um, and you, you do what you have heard from your father. And then Jesus goes on, and they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And now listen to what Jesus tells them in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And Jesus just later from that passage would tell them that even before Abraham was, I am. That he is sovereign over Abraham and he exposes them. He, he, on one hand, Jesus agrees, yes, you are the descendants of Abraham. Yes, you are the children of Abraham. And yet, spiritually, and so what you start to see is there are actually two lineages happening. There is the physical lineage of Abraham, which Jesus acknowledges, yes, you are physically descendant from Abraham. That's true. But spiritually speaking, you are actually sons of the devil. You are actually spiritually not of God. And this is exactly what John was warning the people of. Do not think that your physical lineage is the one that matters, is the one that is going to determine where you will spend eternity, what your position is with God. It is your spiritual lineage that supersedes your physical lineage. A very shocking word from John and from Jesus and, of course, the apostles and the teachers would continue to proclaim this message. Just one more preacher that would agree with John's message and warning to the people of Israel not to look to a physical hope. Um, Paul spent a good portion of many of his letters, actually, if you, if you begin to understand this issue in that first century, then you will be uh, far better position to understand much of what Paul wrote and why he's writing it. Large portions of the book of Romans are showing that God's promises did not fail to Abraham. Because you start to see the dilemma here. If, if God made promises to Abraham and to his descendants, and now someone like John and Jesus are saying, don't look to that for any kind of assurance, the question comes up, well, did, God, did God's promises fail? Did, did he say things to, to Abraham that weren't true? And God's own uh, integrity would seem to be on the line. So Paul spends much time showing us how these two things fit together. And uh, go into all of that Paul said on this subject. It is a, a large subject. But there is some, some key things that you need to understand when we think about this warning to Israel and the consequence that they paid for not heeding the warning, not repenting, being cut off from God. Uh, and our position now as non-ethnic Jews being brought into grace. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, verse 28. And this is a key to understanding how can God bring this kind of word to Israel bring us as non-Jews in and still be faithful to his promises. This is what Paul says in Romans 2.28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and 
physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul, again, shows the Christians, don't think physical only. Yes, there is a physical lineage to Abraham, and yes, as we think about the nation of Israel today, I think our hearts should break for their refusing to turn to Christ as their Messiah. We should pray that they see Christ as their Messiah and they find forgiveness in Him, and we should, we should not be arrogant towards Israel because, as Paul would say later, we are the unnatural branch grafted in. But we also must understand that there is a spiritual Jew. There is those who have been this circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, this heart that is made new. That is the true Jew, Paul says. And so in that sense, if you are a Christian here today, you are a Jew. You are of Israel. And spiritually speaking, you are the descendant of Abraham. It is a great and mysterious thing that God has done in bringing us into his grace, grafting us into his family. Um, flip over in Romans a little bit more, and I'll have, I'll have to force myself to, uh, to move on from this point because it's just so vast and so amazing as you begin to understand how God has brought us in and this warning to Israel that, that John gave. Um, the question comes up then, what about Israel? What about Israel today? We hear a lot of talk about Israel is the people of God and, and Israel, uh, the nation that supports Israel is going to be a blessed nation. And, and we hear a lot of this kind of thing. And, and the question, um, is Israel the people of God today? And to answer that question, you really have to answer it yes and no. And this is why Paul would tell us First of all, yes, in Romans 9, he uh, begins talking about his heart towards the people of Israel. And he says in verse 2 that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish, I, could, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now there Paul makes the distinction, ethnic Israel, his descendants according to the flesh. They are Israelites, he says, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So if you, if you ask the question, is there any advantage to Israel right now? Paul just says, yes, there's a lot of advantages. They have this rich heritage. They, they are Israelites according to God's faithfulness and to his covenants with them. Through them comes the law. Through them comes Christ, our Savior. So yes, we need to, to honor these people. But Paul also acknowledges that there is this hardening. There is this rebellion that has happened in Israel. And as a result, they are cut off. Uh, not entirely, of course. You will meet believing Jews. Paul writing as a believing Jew. Um, but they are in now a season of hardening. And uh, if you jump over to chapter 11, I know we're going over a lot there, but just so you get a picture of what has happened um, from, this stand, from, from the starting place of John's warning to this people. 
We find in chapter 11, 11, 11 says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their in full inclusion mean? And Paul uses this great picture of the tree and the branch that was broken off, the natural olive branch that was broken off of Israel, and then we grafted in, we're told, by faith. And Paul warns us, and he says, In verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Last one, and then we'll move on. So Paul says in verse 25, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So here's Paul's summary of this mystery of Israel's warning to not look to their physical lineage, the warning that they will be cut off, and then we see that happen as uh, they continually reject Christ and crucify him, Paul tells us this is the mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will, be, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now listen to what he says. In regards to the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So, as I understand this unfolding, we have been brought into grace as the Gentile community. And Paul says there is a hardening that has come upon Israel by and large. But as I understand what Paul is saying, there will come a day when that hardening will be lifted and many Israelites will be brought into salvation, will be brought to Christ. It won't be through some other means. It will be them seeing Christ as their Savior brought into, again, this covenant of grace. And we as Gentiles are experiencing now the grace of God. It is a a remarkable reality. And um, of course, that is merely scratching the surface. But This is what John warns them of. Don't look to this lineage of yours for some hope. And so for us, we should heed that. Uh, Don't look to your heritage, your family's faith for any kind of assurance. It's It's a blessing to have a heritage of faith, but it is not going to do you any good on judgment day. Nobody will be riding on coattails on judgment day. You will stand before God on your own, and if your faith is in Christ, you will be pardoned on his righteousness alone, not on your fathers, not on your grandfathers or your great-grandfathers. It is in Christ alone that we must look. Don't make the same mistake. And also, this should cause us to rejoice that God has 
brought us in to his covenant of grace, that he has offered us salvation. Yes, Israel's hardening is salvation for us. That should not make us arrogant towards Israel, but rather we should continually pray for them that they return to Christ as their Savior. So that was uh, expanded, but that is the, the third component of John's message, this warning to the nation of Israel. Fourthly, and these next two are, are, we'll go through them quite quickly, the fourth component of his message is this warning of judgment. A warning of judgment. You see that John tells them that they're, and he uses this metaphor of a tree, that any tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and will be cast into the fire. In fact, he tells them that the axe is already laid to the root, ready to sever its life support. Again, I think this finds immediate application in the nation of Israel, that they had a season to repent while Christ walked among them, and Jesus warned them, even as he is uh, we think of uh, Palm Sunday, Christ riding towards Bethlehem, and he begins we- uh, be toward, towards Jerusalem, sorry. And as he sees Jerusalem, Jesus begins weeping. Why? Because he sees a nation that has rejected their Messiah. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And because you would not, your house will become desolate. And you see the horrific implications of God's judgment poured out upon this nation as they refused to repent. And this warning of judgment and uh, 70 AD, the nation, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was burned to the ground, the temple destroyed, the people scattered. They experienced very swift judgment from God because of this refusal to repent and to turn to Christ. But this is also a warning for us, isn't it? This warning of God's judgment, a warning that we don't hear enough about, I would say, in my own life, to to realize the seriousness of disobedience. And John doesn't say, he doesn't talk about confessions only. And as we close today, you'll hear a confession from Micah, and part of that confession is, the obedience of baptism, and and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But don't think that a confession and a baptism alone means anything. John is clear. It is this tree that bears fruit. That is the key. And even as we talk to our son and, and help him understand what does it mean to be baptized, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, we also talk to him and say, listen, this is not a one-time thing, and then it's you doing whatever you want. This is a lifelong commitment to follow Christ, to bear fruit. And if we stop seeing fruit, then we're going to admonish you to repent and to turn to Christ. And if you continue to not bear fruit, you very well may have only made a confession, but not actually been born again. This is so important that you understand this tree that bears fruit. And in the context, the fruit is primarily what John is talking about, the fruit of repentance, an ongoing confessing and turning from your sin. And we all know that we are prone to wander, are we not? As the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That that is so true of us. And so there's this constant need of repentance and this warning from John 
of God's judgment. And this judgment is not what many would say today as a, you know, if you committed a really bad crime, you might get 40 years in, in, in hell. If you're really, really bad, you might get 60 years. That's not the judgment of God. It is an eternal place of torment, an eternal place of suffering. Jesus was clear about this. The apostles are clear about this. I don't understand why so many preachers today cannot get this right. Hell is real, it is eternal, and it is horrific beyond anything that we can imagine. And John is warning us, judgment will come. And if you will not repent and, and look unto Christ then you will be cut down and cast into the fire. And this applied to Israel. This applies to us today. And so as you examine yourself, if you read through a book like 1 John, if you read through the Gospels, even what John told the people here, they asked him, what, what should we do? He spells out what their life of repentance would look like. It would look like sharing food with those in need. It would look like stop cheating on, on your hour sheet. You know, you're marking down your hours and you're saying, oh, well, I, I think I worked four, but really, you know, I, I worked extra hard, so I'll just put down six today and we'll just say that's okay. John's saying, stop that. Repent. Don't cheat on your timesheets. Don't, don't be dissatisfied with your wages. And he calls them to very specific acts of repentance. And uh, he tells the, the soldiers, don't abuse your position of authority. If you have a position of authority, don't use that to take advantage of others, to advance yourself. And this is what repentance looks like. This is what we as Christians should look like. Our lives should be different. We should bear different fruit than the world. And now you know this isn't perfect. Uh, we are this strange mingling of, of fruit of the old man and fruit of the new and that is going to be an ongoing struggle and battle that uh, we would put our, our, our old man to death every day by the word of God, by prayer, that we would crucify ourselves to our flesh and live to Christ. And that is something we will struggle with. But there should be this fruit of the Spirit in an increasing measure in your life. And if not, John warns that you will be cut down and you will be judged with fire, and we need to hear that. And the final component then of John's message, and perhaps the, the, the focal point of all of his message, is that the fifth component is John's message is Christ-centered. It is a Christ-centered message. John could have easily started his own following. He could have easily, you know, been the first to build his webpage and get himself on Facebook and get all of the likes and everyone's following John. He could have easily taken advantage of this position that he was given. But that's not what he did. He continually pointed people to Christ and he said, look, it's not about me. I'm not the point here. I am a sign holder pointing you to Christ. Don't focus on me. Listen to my voice and behold the Lamb of God. That's what John did day after day as he prepared the way for Christ. And what a beautiful picture of humility that he dies as, as basically entertainment for a, a political party. That's how John dies. Very, uh, very un, not, it's not glamorous. It's not no confetti, no music, just John's head on a plate because some 
upset woman wanted it. John lived a life, preached a message that was Christ-focused. And we will close with what John said. I, I love this um, passage in Luke. And we see here that even you, you get these glimpses, not only in Luke, but John, where people come to him and, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And he would say, no, the, the one that you're waiting for, I, I don't even deserve to untie his sandals. I baptize you with water. That's my ministry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so at close, I want to turn um, to John 3. And you see this, you see John's heart as he preaches and lives a life that is Christ-centered. John 3.25. And as I said, you see the, the potential for John to draw attention to himself. And here you see what he does with that. It says in John 3.25, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all who are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That is the essence of John's message. It is Christ centered. It is not John centered. It is, it is look to Christ. It is I am happy to decrease if that will mean the exaltation of Christ. That was John's life and ministry and, and such a powerful example for us in our lives. Are we happy to decrease if it will exalt Christ? Are we happy to, to sacrifice if it will mean the fullness of Christ's reward for that which he died. And if you are not looking to Christ this morning, then listen to John's word. Believe upon the Son. Turn from your sin. Don't be a hypocrite and go through the motions. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. Ask God to give you a love for his word, for the, for the things that honor him. Don't look to some family lineage for assurance, as many are tempted to do. Listen to the words of this man. Heed his warning of judgment. And lastly, look upon Christ. Live your life that he would be exalted. Let us pray, and then I'll invite the worship team to come and lead us in a song.
as Micah and I uh, prepare for the baptism. So bow with me, please. Lord God, we do stand just amazed, Father, at, at the mystery of your ways. God, your great promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Father, and, and how, Lord, you have, through their disobedience, through their hardness, now brought us into grace and to salvation and into mercy, Lord. And we pray that we would not be arrogant, Lord, that we would not fall into the same traps of going through the motions of looking to some heritage of faith to sustain us, Lord, that you would help us to look upon Christ, to honor him in all things. And Lord, we pray for the nation of Israel, that you would send missionaries there, Lord, that you would, you would be pleased to, to lift this hardening of their hearts, that they would see Christ and be saved, Father. And we ask that we would uh, continue to labor here in a way that pleases you and honors you. Thank you for this dear congregation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to this sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless. Thank you.